Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. We resume our year-by-year look at the game of football in this edition of the Football History Rewind. On the docket, today is the 1927 college game, the rules revision, the contenders, and the champions that made this season a memorable one. And some of these rule revisions, well, they still stick with us today. It's all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to Football History Rewind. We are at part number 60. We're resuming uh, after a small hiatus of, uh, you know, dealing with some uh, the Rose Bowl history, all 108 games of the Rose Bowl. If you've missed any of those, go back and check out some of the back episodes. I believe we had like 55 different episodes on Rose Bowl history. Really a lot of fun. We had some great uh, time with uh, talking to our friends and uh, meeting some new people and historians and just talking about some great research and, and history on the Rose Bowl game and some excellent uh, football history in there as well and we're going to resume back into our normal programming here we have you know each week we're trying to go a year by year uh, look at uh, college football and professional football uh, going through the whole history of the game Uh, football history rewind is what we call these segments and part number 60 today we will look at the 1927 college football history but before we do so let's make sure that you know how to get a hold of us and send your feedback it's pigskindispatch at gmail.com you can also follow us and look us up on twitter we are at pigskindispatch we'd love to get some dms from you have some follows and uh, some correspondence uh, there on the social media as well now let's get to that 1927 history the highlights from an official's point of view for the 1927 season are the rule changes that occurred. These, in this year, had four revisions from that season that are at the root of some very basic rules that still we use today in football almost 100 years later. Now, the first of the rules sort of applied to the kicking game. Uh, The most obvious and dramatic rule change in 1927 was the physical moving of the goalposts. Yes, despite what NFL film shows in the 1960s, college football first moved their goalposts from the goal lines to the end lines in 1927. The reasoning of this change was not so much for safety aspect, but for the encouragement of kicking an extra point. Note, the the NFL used the collegiate rules from the league's inception until 1933 until they got their own rule book. Thus, the NFL had their goalposts on the end line 
until 1933 and then moved them to the goal lines for the 1933 through 1965 season when they finally adopted uh, the end lines too. And I believe in the 1970s, they, they really brought them out away from uh, the uh, goal lines and put them on the end lines. Well, the rules committee of college recognized that the point after touchdown had become such a com- common mission for teams the past five years. They wanted to create an easier trajectory for the kickers. You know, trying to get a ball to fly over a 10 foot high crossbar in a 10 yard span quickly is a difficult task. Made a little bit easier by adding another 10 yards to the equation. So the uh, angle and trajectory is a little less steep and thus a little bit easier to produce uh, with increased distance. Now, the change to the kicking portion of the game came in the area of a punted scrimmage kick. The punts and their subsequent returns were found to be limited as kicking uh, teams tended to fumble the ball forward and advance after recovery in an attempt to reach the line to game. This trend was thwarted by a rule in which on punt plays, the kicking team could not advance beyond the point from where the kickers recovered it. This rule from 1927 is most likely the foundation of the modern rule that the kicking team cannot advance a kick. So that you see that quite often in today's rules where a punt returner will will muff the ball. Muff means it's still a kick. He's never possessed it. Well, the kicking team can't take that ball and then proceed in the end zone for a score. It's dead right where they recover it, you know, the kicking team's ball. Now, that's different than if the uh, punt returner would catch the ball, run with it a little bit, make some football moves, and then fumble it. Fumble different than a muff, and then they can advance a fumble, but cannot advance a muffed kick or a free kick. Now, scrimmage and pre-snap 1927 revisions also occurred. The two other rule changes from 1927 that had lasting impacts are both associated with what offensive teams could do in between downs. The ongoing leveling of the playing field between the offensive and defensive sides of the ball was once again tinkered with in the name of fairness. The first such rule prevented the offenses from stalling the game. The committee imposed a new concept where it was required the ball to be snapped within 30 seconds after the ball was deemed ready for play by the referee. The offshoots of this are, of course, the 25-second clock in the high school, 45-second times in college and pro levels. And now I believe high school's even gone to some of the 45-second clocks in many areas. Uh, the second rule in 1927 that restricted the offenses was that all 11 players of the team with possession of the ball must stop completely for at least one second prior to the snap of the ball. Now, this squashed a couple of different practices used by offenses that gave them an unfair advantage. They could not easily quick snap the ball, and they also had to establish a formation, especially in the backfield at some point during the period uh, prior to the snap of the ball, just to be fair to the defenses. You know, those quick snaps are killers, and you still see teams to this day uh, try to do that, and you'll often see an illegal formation penalty come up on that, especially when somebody's trying to substitute. Now, a lot of the levels have got rid of that. You see this in the pro and college game where the umpire will come in and delay the quarterback from barking out signals once the offense has substituted, giving the defense time to adjust and get their substitutes set. 
Now there are some highlights to the 1927 season too. It wasn't just all the fun and games of the rules. Uh, the national champions of 1927 was the Bob Zupke coached University of Illinois. Yes, you know, Red Grange departed nearly two years ago and left for the NFL in 1925. But this squad in 1927 was dubbed as, quote, the nobodies from nowhere, as they were not thought to be one of Zupke's best teams. The Illini finished with a season record of seven wins, zero losses, and one tie, as their only tainting was an early season tie with non-conference Iowa State. Close behind the Illini in a chase for the crown that year were the Minnesota Golden Gophers, coached by Doc Spears, who finished with no losses but had two ties on the season. We talked a lot about Doc Spears when we had Chris Willis on, uh, when his new book uh, on Bronco Nagurski, Doc Spears, of course, was Bronco's coach. And Spears based his success on good physical conditioning and a good hard contact on the opposition. The impact of this approach was best reflected in the fact that the Big Ten teams did not want to schedule Minnesota. Ohio State coach Jack Wilsey may have summed the style of Spears' teams best when he said, quote, you may beat Minnesota, but the next week you can't beat anybody, unquote. Pretty interesting uh, observation by coach. Now, another team that nipped at the Illinois' heels all season long were the Pitt Panthers, coached by Jock Sutherland in his fourth season at the school. The Panthers were ranked number two in the nation in the Dickinson season ratings, released on December of 1927. Now, Pitt went undefeated all season long with one tie against a tough Washington and Jefferson team, uh, Washington Jefferson presidents, on November 5th. Now, the other stumbling block to overtaking the Illini by the Pitt was a close 7-6 loss at the 14th Rose Bowl uh, to Stanford. But, you know, this the uh, national championship was determined long before New Year's. It was determined in December. So, really, the Rose Bowl had no bearing on it. So, even if Pitt would have won big, they probably wouldn't have been uh, you know, given that, that the national championship. Of course, these were retroactive, I think, back then, though, too. So what am I saying? Uh, it wasn't until the 1930s when they were giving them out. So this is a retroactive championship. So maybe the Rose Bowl did have come into play a little bit. Other teams that fared well in the 1927 season, well, is School of Tufts recorded a strong record at 8-0-0, but maybe a weaker schedule and not uh, having the uh, premier team in, you know, in, like some of these other big bigger schools uh, dismissed them a little bit. Army finished with a 9-1-0 record. Uh, Springfield had a 7-0-2 record. And while the team that tied Pitt, Washington, and Jefferson, they ended up sporting a 7-0-2 mark on their ledger. So maybe not such a big strike against Pitt when the Washington Jefferson presidents uh, were also undefeated and had those two ties. Well, the 1927 season had some long-lasting impacts on the game of football and its rules revisions. And the next season would also be memorable, but not for one of its new rules. Now, please look back soon and see in our next episode how the professional game fared in 1927 in Part 61. In Part 62, we'll be back for that 1928 season of college football when those are released. So look back soon for those, your favorite podcast provider pigskindispatch.com and sportshistorynetwork.com. 
Now, hope you enjoyed this show. We sure enjoyed having you here and talking about football history. We do this quite often, and we have new posts each and every day on pigskindispatch.com. Hope you'll check us out there. Podcasts, we're trying to get down to two to three times a week here. As uh, and, but we have every single day coming out on jerseydispatch.com for your sports history podcast. So you can find those uh, dropped in this feed or on its own feed too. Favorite podcast provider, pigskindispatch.com or sportshistorynetwork.com. So till tomorrow, everybody, have a great gridiron day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.